I don't think it would be uh, wrong to say that we're on a search for hope. That all of us have testimony of grief, a time when a burden has been too much, a heartache too acute, and we were desperate for comfort. We conclude our series today by talking about following Jesus to that place. When there seems to be no hope, when there seems to be no way out, we can find him and follow him to that which we most desperately need. I want you to think uh, for a moment, uh, you heard Amanda describe the worst moment in her life. And I'd like to ask you to do the, just to think about when that moment came in your life. When grief was so unbearable, they couldn't speak. Maybe you couldn't move. You couldn't conjure up a thought of anything positive. The weight was so heavy, so heavy. We uh, look for hope a lot of places, don't we? I, uh, I'm not really into politics, but I know enough about it to know there's not really any hope there. Amen? <laughs> We look for hope in other people and relationships at times. They can go either way, can't they? Hopeful and hopeless. We look for hope in material things. I have made a lot of foolish purposes, purchases, thinking that they would make me uh, happier and give me a sunnier outlook on life. I know folks that look for hope in the sports teams here in Cincinnati. That's a struggle right there, isn't it? What I want you to know today is simply this, and foundational thought of everything that we're going to talk about today, the only source, the only place that we can find real hope even in the darkest of valleys that will sustain us is in God. And if you're here today and you're struggling, if you're here today and, and, and you're grieving, if you're broken, you're burdened, you've come to the right place because this is a place of hope. The devil wants to keep you down. He's made a mistake in bringing you here today. Allowing you to come here. And we, we kind of just need to say this, and, and I don't know if I have ever asked you to write down something quite this depressing. But life is filled with pain and sorrow. Amen? It's there for all of us. 
And even believers get sick and die. I, uh, I kind of leave that out when I witness to people, by the way, about Jesus. But it's true, isn't it? We're not immune from tragedy. We're not immune from sickness. We're, we're not immune from the burdens that everyone faces. We don't get a free pass. Sometimes Christians get cancer. Sometimes we wreck our cars. Some of us do that a lot. Sometimes life hurts, and there aren't any easy answers. For sure, we all get older, don't we? I don't think believers age any slower, do you? Amen? I can tell that from here, now that I think about it. You know you're old. I got a few of these. I'm going to read them. You know you're getting old when someone compliments your alligator shoes and your barefoot. You know you're getting old when your idea of a happy hour is a nap. You know you're getting old when your idea of weightlifting is standing up. You know you're getting old when your knees buckle and your belt won't. That's so convicting to me right there. I don't like it. You know you're getting old when someone calls you at 9 p.m. and asks if you're still awake. You know you're getting old when you bend down to tie your shoes and you wonder what else you can do while you're down there. <laughs> and, you know, then you, then you kind of feebly start to get up and the blood's running this way and, and you can hardly stand, you know. Here's my favorite. You know you're getting old when you and your teeth don't sleep together. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. John chapter 11 talks about a group of believers who, who were grieving. You remember the story. These people were Jesus' best friends. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. They lived in the village of Bethany. And Jesus was uh, a considerable journey away. And Lazarus had grown very, very sick. And we learn later he was sick unto death. And the story says that uh, the sisters, if you look in verse 3, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I think every single one of us is in that category, don't you? We are the ones that Jesus loves. And yet, some of us have been sick. Others who we know Jesus loved have gotten sick and died. There is no immunity there, is there? 
But there is a powerful truth in the midst of, of that kind of difficult thing to swallow. God still loves you. God loves you. Sometimes I think we think that tragedy means the absence of his love, the absence of his presence, the absence of his power. A matter of fact, and I'll answer this question later, we, we seem to cry out when tragedy comes our way, Lord, why? Where were you? Were you taking a nap and allowed this to happen? Or what's your strategy here, God? Why would you choose to take this child or this person who's so precious to me? Where were you? Where were you? Mary and Martha asked Jesus that same question. If you read the rest of chapter 11, you see that when he finally decided to come to Bethany, that Lazarus was buried. Seems a very interesting decision that Jesus made. Mary and Martha even said that to him. If, if you would have been here, Lord, or even if you would have done something from where you were, this wouldn't have happened. How could you let the one you love die? They were angry. They, they thought that Jesus had let them down. You ever feel that way? I do. Sure you do. There have been some rotten things that have happened in all of our lives, some things that are absolutely unexplainable. Why? How could this be? Jesus, he was your best friend. He was one of your best men. He was the best guy in this village. He was our brother. He was our rock. Why did you let this happen? The, the idea of a God who allows tragedy and yet still loves us is a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? And, and it's that thing that we most fear, that thing that we... we we just get desperate when we think about is that someone who we love and who God loves might be taken. We have a hard time ministering at those times, don't we? I, I've been so quick to give answers at times when folks said why or you know, when folks were weeping and, and it makes us uncomfortable to be in that kind of situation and we just we say things and even if they're right from the Scripture, timing's kind of bad. 
We don't know how to deal with grief or confront it, do we? We don't know what to say. I've heard people say things that just, why? I mean, you're really eating your foot right now, aren't you? Rejoice, he's with the Lord. I'm not going to rejoice. I want him to be here with me. Well, maybe soon things will get back to normal. Did you hear what Amanda said? It never is normal again. Some of you have lost your spouse, a child, a parent, and your life is colored completely different now. Not necessarily bad, but not normal. Not normal. So what do we say? What do we do when when we find ourselves trying to make God look good in a situation that even we don't understand? I want you to watch this video with me. Can I get a cup of coffee? Yeah. How are you? Thank you. Take care. Psalm 23, David says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The valley. It is a depression or an extended canyon that seems to go in one direction. It seems like it would go on forever. You see, we all seem to go in these valleys in our life. We may be entering a valley, we may be in the middle of the valley, or we're about to leave the valley. And the valley, it comes in all different shapes and forms. It can be uh, the loss of a friendship, the metaphorical death of a dream or a missed opportunity. It can even be the literal death of someone that we love. Basically, it is something that ceases to exist in our lives as we now know it. Ecclesiastes says that there is a time for everything. There is a time to laugh, and there's a time to cry. It's that mourning season. It is that season of pain. Everyone hurts at some point. We all feel the pain of experiencing the valley of the shadow of death. When we are in the midst of pain, it feels like it goes on forever. There's no relief in sight. I'm not talking about having a bad day or even a big inconvenience. I'm talking about those seasons when the pain hurts in our bones, in our gut, into the very core of who we are. So where do we go when we mourn? Where do we go with those thoughts of pain and those wounds? Jesus said, for those that are mourning, do just that, mourn. But he also gave a promise that there will be comfort. So for those people that are in the valley with no end in sight, they must be comforted. And we want to help. We want to be there for people. But in reality, 
there are really no words to say for someone who is sitting in their mourning booth. We try to tell jokes. We think that laughter should lighten their mood. It doesn't always seem to work. If laughter is the best medicine, why does it seem to sting when we're in the valley? And others try to offer perspective. We really don't know what to say, so we try to offer some counsel. We'll say stuff like, all things work together for good. It's true, but the timing may be a little off. Sometimes we find ourselves trying to comfort someone we really love. We say it's time to move on, to rise above it, to get over it. But there's a life still to live. But if we were to really look at them, we'd see their pain. For those of us who can't see the pain, we leave. We exit. We cannot sit in the morning booth any longer. We cannot stay in the valley. Everyone must take their turn in the morning booth. However, they shouldn't have to do it alone. Paul calls out the cry for the followers of Jesus. Mourn with those who mourn. Carry one another's burdens. We must get in close proximity of the person in pain. Never underestimate the power of your presence. When a person is seated in their mourning booth, there is something eternal in gently and quietly taking a seat next to the wounded. St. Francis said, Share Jesus with others, and if you have to, Use words. You see, you don't have to use words at all. It can make all the difference in the world when someone is willing to sit and share in the pain, the sorrow, and the hurt. It is a holy response. take a look at the passage that he alluded to, and uh, maybe the most optimistic verse in all of Scripture. We know that in all things, all things kind of covers all things, right? That God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And then the sister verse, or that verse which follows it, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, to look like Jesus. And looking like Jesus isn't all fun and games, is it? A couple of really, really, really important thoughts. I think we misinterpret that scripture. I think we seem to think that everything that happens in our life, that somehow God will take that and make it good. Well, that's not what it says. First of all, there, there's a perspective that I think you need to understand, that our, our perspective about what is good and God's perspective about what is good completely different. We are interested in what will make us happy 
and comfortable right now. Right? Amen? Anybody here against happy or comfortable? I don't think so. There are folks sitting outside watching this on TV in those comfortable chairs. They're the ones who are really interested. Happy, comfortable. We think that it's good, life is good, if we're happy, if we feel good that day, if we're comfortable with where we are in life, if there's nothing that's burdening us, then we believe Romans 8.28. God's more interested in what will make you holy and stronger spiritually. He's conforming you into the image of who? Jesus. He's making you look like Jesus. And sometimes that process doesn't seem very good, right? Even Jesus really wasn't too excited about God's plan for his life at times. So here's what Romans 8.28 is really saying. Despite the bad, God can bring good. You see that? You see the difference? Despite the bad, Listen to me, guys. There are some things in life that are bad, and they'll never be good. They will never be good. Some things will never be good. But despite those things that are a part of all of our lives, God can bring good. And if you think about it, That's even better. Because in the midst of the good and in the midst of the bad, in the midst of the sorrow and grief, in the midst of the joy and the celebration, God is molding us into someone who fits in his heaven. God is molding us into people who look like his son and who will be comfortable in his house. This could be the quietest congregation that I've ever preached to. Now, is that not good news, guys? God's getting you ready for where you're going to live forever. And it may not all be good here, but it will be there. It may not all fit what we think is good and comfortable, but it's going to be mighty comfortable in his house. He takes a much longer view than we do, doesn't he? Jesus gets to the graveyard. We're back in Bethany now. He gets to the graveyard. He has been tongue-lashed by Mary and Martha. Where were you, God? So he just goes to the cemetery. Bible says that he saw the crowd gathered around Lazarus' tomb. He saw the weeping of Mary and Martha and that his heart was moved with compassion. Remember the verse we all memorized as children? Verse 35. Say it with me. Jesus wept. 
What's that tell you about him? When you mourn, he mourns. When you're hurting, he feels your pain. When you grieve, he gets it. He weeps with you. I love that verse that says, mourn with one another. When they mourn, you mourn, but I love this one better. Jesus weeps with me. Bible says then he cups his hands around his mouth. Can you see this scene in the cemetery? Nothing like this has happened in Bethany before or since. He cups his hand around his mouth. And he speaks in a loud voice. You know why he had to speak in a loud voice? Because he had to talk to Lazarus' body in the tomb, and he had to talk to his soul all the way in heaven. Now, his body was a lot more willing to come back home than his soul right then, I can tell you that. Lazarus, come forth. It is a good thing he called him by name because every grave would have opened and people would have been jumping out. Lazarus, come forth. And he did. And Jesus proved what he was about to exhibit, resurrection power. Now that speaks to my heart because I know I'm not eternal. I've been looking in the mirror lately and realizing that time is flying by. You're not eternal either. And the greatest news you'll ever hear is the news of resurrection power. The news that those who we love are with Jesus, and we will be too. Causes us to not mourn as others mourn. It causes us to not mourn hopelessly, but hopefully, with certainty and surety. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus burst forth from that tomb and that he ascended into heaven and that we will too on that great day. I used to just detest the notion of death. I would lay awake at night And anticipate with great fear those who were precious to me dying. Not so much anymore. You see, for the believer, it's a day of glory. God can be glorified in our suffering. God sometimes will heal here, and sometimes the healing will come there. 
but he'll be glorified either way. And the process of moving from this world to the next, for those of us who've said, Jesus is my Savior, it's a moment of glory. I don't know that Lazarus wanted to come back. What do you all think? Listen to me. Here's comfort. Here's hope. You're holding on. Struggling maybe, but holding on. Wondering why and when and and how, but holding on. You're holding on with patient expectation for God to carry out his promise in your life, for God to remove the grief, for God to ease the pain, heal the wound, or to move you to his house, holding on. Let's end where we started. Remember, we talked about that question. God, where were you? Where were you? Just like Mary and Martha, where were you? This shouldn't be. This is too much. Where were you? Let me tell you where he was. Standing at the gate of heaven with arms wide open ushering those whom he knew whom he loved into their home that's a that's a day to look forward to guys We'll know where God was then, and we'll know why he was there. Folks, if you know Jesus, that's your hope. If someone you loved, who you miss at the table, that's, that's your hope with them. If, if, if you're struggling to get past grief and, and pain, That's your hope. That's your hope. And nothing else matters. Reality. Nothing else matters. Claim that promise today. Because one day, one day, It's going to be vitally important in your life. Pray with me. Father, I trust that those who grieve today can find some semblance of comfort. I trust that those who fear death can be encouraged 
Father, I trust that those who, who, who are not sure, who sit here today and, and, and maybe even know that they have no chance of heaven or doubt their salvation, may they hear, Father, your voice right now calling you, calling them to assurance, calling them to salvation calling them to hope and comfort. Father, I know where you're at right now. I know you are in the hearts of those who love you. I know you are in the minds convicting those who need you. I know your spirit has a word for everyone today. It's a word of hope. You're right here. Your prayer away. You're right here. Give us the hope, the comfort. We can find nowhere else. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to do something different today. Always ask for those of you who need to know the Lord, who want to trust Him as your Savior, to come see me. Please do that. Don't put that decision off. For those of you who want to come and pray and just ask God's grace and mercy, maybe a life change, whatever it is, pray for someone else. This altar's open. Communion is available for those of you who want to say thank you, Jesus, that your life, death, burial, and resurrection gives me resurrection power. And then I know that there are those of you who, as we talked about these tough things today, remembered someone, whether they've been gone five weeks or 50 years, there's someone that you miss still, someone that you can't help but remember. I'm going to ask that you just come. There are markers on the tables there, and you write the name of that person on this memory board. Maybe a a descriptive word that you think about when you think about that person. And take a moment to say thank you for God placing that person in your life and for where they are now. Would you stand with me?